1: Hello, and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author, and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. I get it, it's not always easy. But as you know by now, we're in this together, and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, having a conversation about death and dying is not typically a conversation we are excited to have with our kids, and yet we all know it's necessary. A friend of mine came over to me at a party the other day. She had just found out that her mother-in-law had stage 4 cancer. While dealing with her own whirlwind of emotions, knowing that I provide tips and scripts to have these tough conversations with kids, she asked me, what do I tell the kids? What if they ask me if she'll die? What do I say when she does? The concept of dying can be scary, sad, confusing, angering, upsetting for many of us. Our own emotions, our concern about our kids' emotions, how are they going to take the news? How are they going to cope with life when somebody they love dies? How might they grieve? What's normal? These can make us worry about having these conversations in the first place, not to mention our confusion over what to say and how to say it can make this topic on how to talk to kids about death and dying a real tough one. And that is why I'm so thrilled to have Joe Primo on the show today. Joe Primo is the CEO of Good Grief in Morristown, New Jersey, and Princeton, New Jersey. Good Grief serves hundreds of children and families each month after the death of a mom, dad, sister, or brother. Primo also served as the president of the National Alliance for Grieving Children, Primo currently serves on the advisory board of Option B at the Cheryl Sandberg and Dave Goldman Family Foundation. Primo formerly worked as a hospice chaplain at both the Connecticut Hospice and the Hospice of Southeastern Connecticut. He received his Master's of Divinity from Yale University, where he concentrated in end-of-life care. Primo is the author of What Do We Tell the Children? Talking to Kids About Death and Dying. He is also the author of The Business of Grief, which appears in at The End of Life, True Stories About How We Die by CNF Press. Primo has appeared in or on CNN, the Chicago Tribune, Fox, ABC, and many other news outlets, and guess what? He has a TED Talk coming out in a few days called Grief is Good. Then we'll keep you updated on when that release date is actually going to take place. You can get more information on Joe and on Good Grief at good-grief.org. We are so thrilled that you're here with us to share your experiences and wisdom, welcome Joe Primo to How to Talk to Kids About Anything.
0: Thanks for having me, Dr. Silverman. Really happy to be here with you.
1: I'm thrilled to have you here. And before we get into the meat of the matter, for those Uh, who haven't had the opportunity to meet you or read your books, read your work, would you just take a moment to tell us what gets you up in the morning? What made you so interested in helping kids and families cope with death and dying and grief? What really got you into this work?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Most people want to know how somebody who deals with death every day gets up every morning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I, I think it's so much about looking for Uh, joy in life, that there there are complexities of hardships that everybody has to face day in and day out, no matter your age or your life experience. Um, And for me, I got involved in this work because when I was 14, I was having lunch with my grandparents and a couple of aunts and uncles. Um, when during lunch, uh, my aunt dropped dead of a heart attack.
1: Oh my goodness!
0: Yeah, it was it was an incredibly intense experience. And a couple of weeks after that, I started my freshman year of high school, and I arrived there so desperately wanting to talk about what I had seen and how I had felt, but everybody around me was uncomfortable oh, with my grief sure. and what I was going with. And you know, and the and the crazy thing about this, Robin, is here I was. Uh, A freshman in high school looking to the adults for just for help and it turned out that all the people in helper roles were unhelpful and um, so part of how I get up every morning and I you know try to confront um, end-of-life issues and just the hard and and sad things that happen every day um, it sort of goes back to when I was 14 knowing Mm -hmm. that the way that we deal with grief and death in our culture, this is entirely a social construct, that the solution um, rests with us and uh, we can go about how we talk about this, how we support kids in a very different way and not only in a different way, but um, in a way that promotes resilience in a way that actually makes our lives richer. is more capable of dealing with, with hardship.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that you are providing the service that it seems you wish you had or you deserved at that time when you were 14. Is that really what you're doing here?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and what's interesting about my story is um, this aunt who died, I describe her as a wedding's funeral aunt, as in I only ever saw her at weddings <laughs> and funerals. And yet, like, I was totally devastated by what had happened. Sure. So, you know, my degree of empathy um, is really heightened because I, my mom and dad, my sister, they're still alive, they're healthy, they're well. So I didn't go through the chaos and the disruption that uh, childhood bereavement creates. And yet, through, through sort of the secondary... Um, a form of loss with, with, with somebody who wasn't, I wasn't particularly close with, I still understood how disruptive and, and, and hard it was on me.
1: Okay. So that really makes sense to me. And and I really can understand why you're providing this service. You talk about grief so much in your work. You are the CEO of Good Grief, this amazing organization that helps families. So can you just take a moment to talk about what grief is and what is its purpose in helping people to cope with death and dying of loved ones?
0: Yeah. Well, I just think about the example you gave about your friend and mm-hmm. her and her mother-in-law. Yeah.
2: And
0: when we think about how are kids going to respond to um, to loss, and um, how are they going to process it? And I think uh, the best way for us to start deconstructing grief is to understand that it is not just an emotional experience. I think mm-hmm. we tend to think that grief is an emotion, but actually there there are four. Um, predominant components to it Mm. the first being emotion that there's an emotional response and there's a myriad of different emotional things that happen from from relief to anger to depression uh, to numbness Uh, and so we tend to think that those are the only uh, components of it but it's also an intellectual experience so I mean if you think about in your life whenever you've experienced a loss now think about some of the things we we say right when we get that that phone call and we learn that news. Mm. Say things like, "I can't wrap my head around." It. Right. So it's very much an intellectual experience where we're trying to, to process that somebody was with us yesterday and today they're gone. Now for kids, that intellectual process moves a little a little deeper. In that, I mean, it's it's true for all of us, but for kids specifically, um that to understand what it means to be dead is a huge component of this intellectual process. It's also a spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't, and and I say spirituality loosely, you know, as a former hospice chaplain, that it doesn't matter if you have a religious makeup Mm -hmm. or a foundation, any sort of religious context. Uh, Spirituality in the terms of wrestling with the question of how and why bad things happen. And and in particular, how do they happen to good People and why do they happen to me? So there's this, this spirituality component, and the last piece that is uh, relevant for everybody, but particularly for kids, is that it's very physical. So oh. you know, for for little ones, especially you know, teens and younger, mm-hmm. uh, they they commonly have headaches and belly aches. Going to to doctors and to the nurses, you know, to the nurse's office uh, and struggling, and and in part it's because. They don't have the words or the vocabulary to articulate uh, all of their their feelings, so um, that grief just Mm. gets bottled up inside Mm. of them. And it's so funny. This little kid Timmy, many years back, stuck with me. It's probably like going back to two thousand and eight, and he came up to me and he said, "Joe, you know, grief is like poop. Mm. You have to get it out." Mm. And it's so funny, like the insightfulness of, of this little guy, because it is and. And when we don't get grief out, if we don't find an ex- some sort of modality through music, through sports, then all of that bottles up and it has physical ramifications. You know, for adults, it's fatigue and exhaustion. But for kids, it can turn into all sorts of behavioral stuff yes. too. Yes. Uh, here at grief, we have something called the volcano room. It's a padded room. Anybody who's uh, watched too many movies and Seen folks in the psychiatric unit. It doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily look too different from that. But it's amazing. It's the highlight of our program. A couple of kids at a time can go into this room that's filled with mats and some balls and just romp around, Mm -hmm. just let out all of this built-up energy and grief. So um, I think to understand grief is to know that there are these four components Mm -hmm. of physical, spiritual, and intellectual. That that
1: is very helpful, I think, to understand especially with kids that we're not looking at it in just this very um, specific way it's layered there's a lay there are four different layers to it
0: yeah you'd only if you only focused on the emotional you'd be getting to a quarter of the issue
1: Okay, this Wow what an important point to make and uh, as we continue into this conversation, because um, I-, I love that you're connecting the idea of one of these layers anyway, that, you know, this idea of the physicality that you can't just address the emotionality. If you address the physicality through sports or music or doing something active with your body, you mm-hmm. also can be dealing with grief. And I know that the conversation about death and dying is sometimes done you know, in in sort of hushed tones, you know with heavy hearts and concern, concern over like these intensely sad emotions that we're talking about. but it's interesting how you're connecting it with sports and music and all these things. You seem, seem to think that that grief is something that needs a rebrand. So what is what is that about? I, I love that you're couching it in these different ways. So how should we be regarding grief?
0: Well, I think we, we start with understanding that grief has a purpose. And that's a hard thing to accept when in the beginning it seems like this unfair um, experience that really is dismantling who you are right Right after that, in, in those early days. But to appreciate grief, I mean, think about it from the, of just being a human, that every human across all time, all history, every culture that as humans, we experience grief. It's something that we do, it serves a purpose, that it's a normal response and reaction to losing someone or something that you love. And so if it has a purpose, we have to ask ourselves what that purpose might be. And I believe that um, grief helps us form a new identity, it helps us uh, develop a new norm, it helps us integrate those relationships of the person who died our relationship with the person who died into our future that we don't if we compartmentalize that death um and when it happened and we and we don't keep that relationship as as part of our future well that's going to come with some consequences and it and it does for kids that uh, research tells us that continuing bonds the sense of connection to the person who died is so incredibly critical but the 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 reason why grief needs a rebrand is because grief is a hard experience, um, and because it's hard, we've labeled it as some as bad mm. when I actually think grief is good. You know, death is the thing that implodes your life, but grief is the thing that puts it back together. Wow. Um,
1: yes. Wow.
0: And that's that's a very different framework for how we need to be thinking about it. And I think part of how we start to see. Uh, grief is a positive in the same way in which we're starting to talk about resilience and post-traumatic growth in positive ways is that we need to be talking about grief openly and differently Um, and if we make this in the new york times had an article probably about a month ago now it was great it was an op-ed it said first sex education and now we need death education Mm -hmm. we need to be educated because we've lost our ability to talk about grief in a meaningful way. Mm. Like, we all know the cliches, we rattle it off, but if we ask ourselves, honestly, if the most important person in our life was to be gone today and we woke up without them tomorrow, would we really know how to approach that situation? Um, And the truth of the matter is, if we're living in a culture that is emotionally intelligent, and and embraces grief and understands that it has a role and purpose, while that grief will still be hard tomorrow, if we were functioning in a different culture, we would be able um, to move through that experience probably in a healthier and more productive way than um, we we currently do with the way that our our culture um, deals with it right now.
1: Okay. So I want to talk a little bit more about that because I love that you talk about this good grief and and that it can be healthy. And we know that adapting to life after a loved one dies can be an incredibly hard transition. It leaves kids in a very vulnerable position. So I'd like you to talk a little bit more, and I know you touched on this already, but how grief is different for kids and what do we need to know as educators, as parents, as coaches, the people who are with these kids to ensure that our kids have this good grief that helps move them forward in this positive way that you're describing rather than going in a negative way?
0: Yeah, well, Robert, in part, it goes back to when I was sharing my story that, um, you know, kids are influenced by adults. And so if adults aren't Uh, prepared and informed and don't have the tools and resources to talk openly and differently about grief, the kids are going to absorb that because kids don't have the same baggage that you and I as developed adults have around death and grief. They're looking at it with new eyes and new lenses, and they have lots of exposure to death. It's all over Disney. Um, you know, mm-hmm. Disney has so many characters are orphaned. Have oh, yes, they, they, they all have, lose
1: their moms right away.
0: All, totally, <laughs> it's it's everywhere, and, and and it's it's in the movies that are for um, the, some of the youngest kids. And and I think that that's an opportunity for dialogue, okay. and that's not a bad thing. What a great opportunity for you to have a conversation with your kids about that. Um, but as a way to think about it, how how is how is grief different for kids? I mean, if you imagine. You know, bake a really delicious chocolate cake. Put a kid in the room, give them the cake, and walk out of the room. And what are they going to do? They're going to inhale that Yumi, thing. Yes. There's no adult to say. No well, fork necessary. Easy, dude. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to come in, and they're going to look adorable. They're going to be covered in chocolate. But the difference is, if you were to put a kid in the room and you know give them grief, they're going to, on their own, nibble at it really slowly. And try to, to digest it in pieces and parts. Um, and, and try, because the way that they're going to approach it is going to depend on what point of references they already have. So their wheels are going to be spinning. They're going to be looking to you for social cues. They're going to be looking to their environment for social cues. And I think that environment is where, and that's really where the preventative care starts happening, because there are real risk factors in childhood bereavement. But those risk factors uh, diminish, if not almost com- are completely obliterated when they're in a nurturing and caring environment that promotes honesty and truth and uh, compassion and a safe space for them to, to question and to explore. Because at the end of the day, these are kids who are approaching or, or, or coming to an understanding of this big new life experience that is as common as birth, but not celebrated or discussed in the same way. So now they're starting to dabble in it and they're and, and connect dots and not even make leaps and even have some magical thinking. So the way that this this plays out is going to be very different depending on uh, a child's context, on where they are developmentally, um, and, and to understand all of these just different factors will also help you understand how do you approach and um, engage a child in, in, in promoting their, not only their expression, but their curiosity?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, because again, if we think about those four components, especially that intellectual piece of all of this, they're, they're, they're trying to figure out, well, what does it mean to be dead? What is it, how is our family going to look different? Mm-hmm. And um, and especially for anybody out there who has kids, you know, at the, they're sort of, they're a little selfish sometimes. Mm-hmm. Right? They're trying to figure out they have needs and they're trying to get them met. Mm-hmm. So they wanna know, um, I'll give you a story. So we had uh, a, a mom tell me some time ago, she was, she was really, she understood that when, she was telling the kids that dad died, that um, she wasn't as helpful to them as she could have been. So the kids were saying, well, if, if dad died, does that mean you're going to die too? And right. she said, oh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to die. But the kid, the, the, you know, that doesn't pass the sniff test for a kid because mm-hmm. the kid's like, wait a sec, if dad could die, why couldn't you?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so here you have mom just trying to keep them safe, a totally normal Response like, oh my goodness, I, I don't want them to have to worry about mm-hmm. me, but but they are.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: They're trying to figure out, um, well, what happens if something were to happen to you? And you know, oftentimes that, as as much as that child uh, loved mom, loves mom, it's not necessarily about whether or not mom lives forever. It's about who's gonna get me to my sports game. Mm-hmm. Who's gonna get, help me play my games? Who's gonna cook for me if you're not here? that they're, they're thinking about it in terms that meet, again, their needs. And those needs might just be practical. So I think sometimes as adults, um, we conflate what kids are actually asking of us, and we have to create an environment that really follows their lead. It doesn't make assumptions. And it empowers them uh, to do that exploration without judgment, And that, and that's a hard, hard thing for parents who are trying to um, keep their kids feeling safe and normalize their, um, their childhood.
1: So, so when you use this idea of, okay, we have this kid and he's you leave him with the chocolate cake and he devours this chocolate cake, and then if you left him with grief, he would be nibbling at it. Is the idea of what he's nibbling at, this grief, these four layers that we discussed or is it something else that he's nibbling at? What is that thing that this child is nibbling at? Is it all the questions? Is it all the emotions? Is it, what is it?
0: Yeah, it's, it's all of it. And and in part, I think it's also, um, I, I guess you could call it a, a self care Uh, like a a checks and balances Mm -hmm. because grief can also feel really really overwhelming Mm -hmm. so I I think part of how kids approach this is they're they're trying to answer the question they're wrestling with right now Um, because if they take it all in at once Mm
2: -hmm. they're they're
0: not going to know how to sort through it so in part it's, it's a sorting through um Uh, The experience, the grief, uh, the feelings, Mm -hmm. the thoughts, um, the physical reactions, Mm -hmm. because there's so many components that to take it all, again, to take it all in at once, know what to do with it.
1: Right. You can't eat this whole cake at once. You've got to go little by little. And I imagine that sometimes, you know, because children are thinking of themselves often, developmentally appropriately, of course, Mm -hmm. that... Sometimes the questions may seem totally out of left field. They may seem somewhat inappropriate at times. Um, And it's it's hard for adults to take that in and think, why are you thinking about that? Why are you worried about who's going to take you to your sports practice when we're dealing with all of this? Or you see me dealing with all of this emotionality. But understanding that that is developmentally appropriate that is them nibbling at the grief and dealing with the loss that they have
0: Exactly you could come home tell kids that daddy died of a heart attack this morning and they you know they may respond to it emotionally at first and then say okay well I got my baseball game tonight so who's going to take me mm-hmm. And that could be really off putting to an overwhelmed mom and an yes. overwhelmed family but that is absolutely a normal response mm-hmm. that kids move in and out of their grief okay. and i think that's what's so hard about supporting grieving kids and especially for your listeners who are teachers and coaches mm-hmm. and i think um cheryl sandberg has done a great job talking about this recently in all of her interviews where she says uh, what frustrates me so much is people would just say how are you doing and she's like my husband's dead how do you think i'm mm-hmm. doing but the helpful response is how are you doing today? Mm-hmm. And I think the point there is for kids and for adults alike, every single day is different. And and as the grieving person, you have no idea how your day is going to unfold. When you're in a classroom, you may have, you may have been able to prepare for that test, but the second that paper lands in front of you and you're ready to answer the questions, it all leaves your head. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, so um, grief comes in and out. And... Um, yeah, you know, so Elizabeth Kubler Ross in 1969, I think, put us on a on a crazy train. Where, <laughs> and she knew this before she died. Where she came up with the five stages, yes. and unfortunately, so many people out there still believed that there are five stages to oh. grief. Huh. And they're, it's not a linear process. Um, grief is like a roller coaster. It's up, down. It's all around, and and that's very important to know both when you're grieving and when you're supporting somebody who's grieving
2: yeah
0: because there are so many, you know the smell of perfume reminds mm-hmm. you of your mom and all of a sudden you're in a tailspin for the Yeah,
1: I think you're hitting on something so important. And thank you for saying that. It's not linear because, I mean, you're just clicking into my brain right now. I just even thinking about my own family. My father died in 2006. And, you know, Mm -hmm. there are days when my mom is like, I'm just pissed he didn't get to see that. You yeah. know, I mean, it, it, she she has obviously, um, you know, moved into all different types of emotions and and is a healthy, happy woman. Um, but there are days when she is obviously sad. There are days that she's, you know, pissed off that he didn't get to, you know, meet my kids or mm-hmm. um, didn't get to see this one, you know, argue a case, you know, my brother's a lawyer, my father was a lawyer, just things of that sort that he didn't get to see. And, and, you know, and then the next day, something else. Um, And, and, or not, not much at all on the outward. And then other days, you know, more, uh, more information that she's providing about how she's feeling. Um, And, and I find that interesting that you're saying that, that it isn't linear and that you can move in and out. And and kids can do so too, and I can do so, and moms, dads, you know, teachers can. So I think that's important to say. Um, before we move into how to say, how to talk to kids about somebody who's died, I, I want to refer back to that one story that I said in the introduction of the podcast about my friend who had just been told that her mother-in-law has stage 4 cancer. And we don't know what's going to happen. This news is completely new. Medication is just being given, you know, there's a great process that is going to be done and progress that can be made, but it brings about a question in my head and I'm sure for others too. If you do find out that someone in your family or a close friend is going to die soon, or um, has an illness that's terminal, and and maybe you've heard these things directly from the doctor. Um, would you have a conversation with your child then? Would you wait? Um, and if you talk about it then, what, what would you say?
0: Yeah, I, I think this is a question that so many people wrestle with, from a disease at stage one to stage four. And with medical treatment being advanced and you know i think we function in a culture that wants to be really um hopeful and optimistic Uh, but with that comes i think some consequences on kids so when i think about some kids that i met early on when they were enrolling in good griefs programs you know i would never make the assumption about um how they were doing based on how the how their loved one died. So to give you an example, uh, this one young boy, his dad had stage four lung cancer, and as somebody who worked in hospice for a while, you know, I pretty much know how that tends to go. And so I asked him, I said, Sam, what like so did you expect dad to die? And he said, No. He, you know, dad went through his treatments. He was still going to the soccer game with me he looked a little different, he would get tired more easily, but then one day he just started doing really poorly, and within a week and a half he was dead. And I think you know it's different for perhaps grandparents versus parents or siblings, but I think for folks who have an illness and they're young, we we tend to think, okay, we're going to throw a lot of different treatments at them and and experimental drugs and it's a young body, and so it can endure a lot. And because medical treatment really promotes um, all sorts of, of different remedies, I think as a result we, we try to remain helpful, and then we sacrifice open dialogue and mm. conversation with kids. And mm-hmm. so then kids are wholly unprepared. So you know the first issue is, as a culture, how do we talk about, about medical treatments and what is a good quality of life. That's something culturally I think a lot of us have not um, answered honestly for ourselves. And the other component is, you know, for a kid, what are the tools and the resources they need to navigate this experience? And so for your, the example of your friend and her mother-in-law, she has a stage four cancer and presumably She's slightly on the older side mm-hmm. and grandkids. So what does it look like for whether it be three months or three more years of life left, for it to be um, a high-quality experience um, and for there to be meaning and for there to be pur- purpose, for there to be a richer sense of intimacy and connection with the ones that we love? Well, oftentimes the way we get there. Is through uh, acknowledging it and talking about it. And it's so funny because we live in this culture of social media and Facebook, and we love pushing out the roomy quotes and all the feel good, so cheesy crap, right? But at the end of the day, like, I call BS. Like, what does it actually mean to face adversity head on and to do it in a meaningful way that brings us closer? And in my opinion, that means vulnerability. That means acknowledging the uncertainty. You can do those things and still be hopeful. Because at the end of the day, what our mortality teaches us is how to use our time. You know, If we knew we lived forever, we wouldn't get out of bed because we would put it off to tomorrow. But it's because we're mortal that we have the opportunity to invest in love and in social justice and in equality and richer relationships and the people, and, and, and with, with the people who are in our lives. So I, think, I don't think we can talk about how do you have these conversations with kids without first talking about the value systems that we need to have in our communities and within our family units. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, um, yes, death seems like a scary thing, but for kids, It's very much a question mark, like, oh, what is that? What does that mean? How is this going to unfold? And so it's okay to say, listen, grandma has a disease. Here is what the disease looks like. Here are different things that could happen. And uh, we hope that grandma, through medicine, will live Mm -hmm. and overcome this, but she might not. And so how do we want to spend mm-hmm. our time with grandma? What sort of questions do we want to ask grandma? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where are things go like, how do we want to spend some special time with right. grandma? Right? Because you don't make those choices if you operate under the assumption, we can beat this, let's fight this, let's soldier on. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, those are opportunities missed that you don't know until it's too late.
1: Right, and you can even probably provide some stories of, you know had i known or, or had i done that with so and so in my life i know i would have wanted to do these things i know i would have wanted to ask these questions i know i would want to have this picture and and be able to use your experience to say we have this opportunity to do this differently and yeah. and what an incredible opportunity it is to make that time special and meaningful and when it comes to the time when this person is no longer here, we will have those things and we will have those memories and those experiences.
0: Yeah, because bad news, Robin, we're all going to die. Mm-hmm. It's so, so true. So that, so grandma might be a little closer. So how are we going to use that time? Right.
1: So, you know, we've talked about how to discuss with your child that somebody's maybe coming to the end of their lives. But how do you tell a child someone has died? Those are some tough words. And obviously, I know we need to be concrete about it. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, it's weighty. It's tough. We have a lot of baggage with that. So what do we we say? The child's in front of us. What do we say?
0: Yeah. Uh, First, I think we have to own our own stuff, right? To know, okay, I have words on the tip of my tongue that is going to change this life, this child's life forever. And what does that bring up for me? And to be able to keep, you know, if you're the messenger, being able to keep yourself in check first and foremost, because that's when things get a little convoluted. And I want to tell a story before I provide the answer, because it's it's an interesting story that sets up the context for this. So Mm
2: -hmm.
0: many years back now, um, when I, uh, was first starting at Good Grief, the dad called me and he said, hey, I, I don't know what to do with my kids. My wife died yesterday. The kids won't leave the house today. They're terrified. What do I do? And, you know, I, there's, 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 there's no easy answer here. Obviously, something there's context. So I said, well, tell me about yesterday. What happened? And then what does it look like today? So he told me a story in which his wife dropped the kids off at school She was late for work, she was speeding, she went through an intersection, she got T-boned and she was killed uh, right at the scene. Oh gosh. A couple hours later, state troopers come to his office, they tell him what happened. So he immediately calls his parents, his in-laws, family, everybody starts showing up at his house and he calls the school to tell them and then he goes to the school to pick up his kids. And uh, so he arrives at the principal's office where the kids are waiting, the guidance counselors, other helpful people. And he doesn't know how to deliver this news. So he starts by saying, "Uh, mommy died and um, the angels came and they took her to be with God in heaven. And then he lost it. And so the (sighs) him breaking down, so they break down, they understand this is bad. But they were just given some jumbled information they couldn't make sense of, and they were put in the car. And then they drove home, but when they got home, all their favorite people were there. It was like a party. So now they have this disassociation from, wait, something bad happened, but now everybody else is gathered. Mom is dead, I don't know what that means. And then the next day, he wants to include them in the funeral services, which of course he should be doing, but they have to leave the house to go and do this. But the kids won't leave because they're terrified that a flock of angels are gonna swoop down and take them away. Oh gosh. They're literal thinkers. And now this story is so commonplace mm-hmm. that we don't we don't know how to say it. So again, we we pull stuff out of the sky. Maybe uh, we have a religious upbringing, that well, we lean on that. Uh, but but and there's a place for all of that, but it's not the place to start with. Mm-hmm. That's confusing because it's abstract for adults and for kids. Even you know, when I speak to clergy, I'll say, Guys, listen, like starting with Jesus, Yahweh, Muhammad, like that's cheating. Like mm-hmm. that, that's just not where we begin here.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: We have to start from a biological place. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, death is a biological event. Right. And that is something that kids can understand. So to approach it from two components, I mean, think about kids' toys, especially toddlers, very mechanical. Does the does the circle toy fit into the square hole, right? They're very mechanical in their thinking.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And they're learning a lot about biological stuff um, when they're kids. And so to, to think about the body as a machine, so I'll use heart attack as an example because it's the easiest one. If you had to ex- explain what it means to be dead, well, you can simply have a kid put their hand on their chest and feel a heartbeat. Have them take a deep breath Right? They, these are things that they can see and that they can hear. And then you can talk about how the organs work together, mm-hmm. that the heart, the blood, and we breathe. All of these things help us stay alive. It works with our brains and our eyes. And how do we know that we're living? Well, the kid would say, um, we have to breathe, our heart beats, we sleep, we tweet, we <laughs> gotta check our email. Um, and you know, the kids, we have to burp, we fart, mm-hmm. we have to do all these things okay well how do we know we're dead well we no longer need to sleep we no longer need to eat we can't make phone calls we can't tweet all of a sudden using biology Mm -hmm. to show how the body works and then to differentiate between what it means to be alive and to be dead and then the kids start to absorb this and they're going to have follow-up questions Um, but if we start from that point of reference now they're able to really understand oh dead that means somebody's dead because when we say mommy's in heaven
2: mm-hmm. and then
0: we're standing around a casket and crying for that five-year-old's like wait what dude what's going on here what happened um that's confusing we need literal concrete ways of talking about this and that other stuff can come in later depending mm-hmm. on Um, you know the nature of your beliefs, but that's just not where you start.
1: Oh, so helpful and you know being able to say That The body is no longer working So that they understand that The heart is no longer beating the lungs are no longer breathing this person no longer eats And can't communicate with us that those biological ways of explaining this information to the kids because they're such concrete thinkers, makes sense to them. And then it sounds like you're saying, if they ask, or as you're, you know, if you're a very spiritual person or a religious person, uh, or you have specific beliefs, and they're asking, but where does one go when they die, or what happens next, or what do you think? And you can ask them what they think, of course, too, um, because kids have their own thoughts. But that you can provide, this is what I think, and it may be different from what the neighbor thinks, and you can even say that, I'm sure, that everybody believes different things. This is what I believe, and what do you think? could be a really interesting conversation, but I like that you're saying we don't start there. That makes a lot of sense.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So thank you for that. I mean, I I think a lot of people are taking a collective breath because it is just so helpful to have the scripts uh, to answer the question, uh, how do you tell somebody that somebody has died and um what what exactly are you saying and it sounds like if whether it's sudden or it's anticipated the words are similar but that when you have an anticipated death you know that it's coming you just have some more time to commemorate and and do things that you probably wish you could have done had you had more time with the sudden death yep so resilience has gotten a lot of buzz these days, and I'm wondering, you know, because you talk so much about resilience in in your in your work and uh, when you're with your families, how can children be more resilient, especially in this very tough circumstance that we're talking about—that somebody maybe in their family, a sister, a brother, a father, or mother has died.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think resilience doesn't just apply to grief. It it applies to all different forms of adversity and identity, how um, we interact with the world and, and what sort of challenges the world gives us in return. But I, I think um, resilience is a very important uh, idea for us and, and a way of seeing our capacity as human beings. I also think it can be dangerous territory because for people in helping roles or people who are overwhelmed and are sort of phoning it in, we can think, oh, a kid's resilient. They'll just bounce back. Or that child seems okay. I guess they are bouncing back. But I think it's so important to understand that resilience is not something that you're just born with. Um, It's a muscle that it's, it's like a muscle that can be developed and trained. So, you know, it's June as well, we're having this conversation right now and I'm thinking about my my body is still a winter body. I do not have a beach But I mean, I'll be honest, <laughs> it's a body, right? but I like, I like to wish that like I can just bring my abs into like fruition by thinking about it really hard and just feeling guilty every time I eat ice cream. But it just doesn't work that way, right? <laughs> And so, if resilience is a muscle, like just pretending that a kid is going to bounce back, uh, it's not going to cut it. That so we have to think about what what are the components of resilience, and this idea of um, uh, of really a reemergence or some other images we use, sort of for that phoenix from the ashes type of metaphor. Well, we need. Uh, an environment and a support system in place that helps us um, discover things about ourselves, helps us understand who we are at our core, helps us um, learn how to self-advocate, be able to identify our, our needs, and then find a path to pursue them in a healthy way. Right, so in, in all of adversity and, and life, I mean, just think of teens, for example. I mean, they, if, you're, if you're dealing with um, the death of a parent, and now you're a teenager, and you have access uh, to all sorts of substances, right? How do you help a teen? A teen might still steal alcohol from the, the liquor cabinet. Okay, that's sort of what teens do but how do you prevent them from stealing that alcohol as a coping strategy? Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And, that's,
0: and that's how we have, that. I mean, that's the distinction. And, and, and in order to do that, they need to be able to identify what it feels like to have good quality support, what it feels like when somebody really understands them, uh, challenges them to grow, affirms them, companions them through the hardship, and they know that they have people that they can lean on um, until they, they find their way up to, to, you know, to catch their breath again. Mm. So resilience isn't uh, an independent thing, mm. it's a collection of, of a lot of tools. So I think for anybody in a helper role, anybody who's a parent, you need, you need to look at a, a child's constitution and say, okay, this is their temperament what are the types of tools that are going to um, help them navigate this uncertain future, this particular adversity? Um, Because if we can help build that toolbox, that's not just gonna serve them right now for this particular adversity, it's gonna be something they can lean on for the rest of their life. And that's the resilience, Mm -hmm. that they're able to see in themselves um, that they're strong, Mm -hmm. that they can endure, and that they can identify um, uh, healthy ways of confronting uh, life's hard stuff, because that's always going to be there. Uh, there's this, uh, So one way that I stay connected to Good Grief's mission is I, I still facilitate groups. Uh, it's really nice to get away from the administrative mm-hmm. stuff. And I have a 10- to 12-year-old group that I, I facilitate. And a few weeks back, now this girl, Maddie, who is, she turned 11 last week, actually. She was telling us about how she looks at her life now and she has so many great friends who, who understand her and who were supporting her. Some of those friends are good grief friends, people she's met here. And that, um, so her mom died and now she has a stepmom and her stepmom is wonderful. And you know, this is a kid who adores, adores her biological mom. Mm-hmm. And she says sometimes she cries so hard at night that the pillow is soaking wet because she wishes her mom was here. But she knows if her mom was here, she wouldn't have the life that she has now and that she loves. Mm. I think her ability to wrestle with her grief, that is the loss of her mom and the disruption and the chaos, and it's a complicated story. There are many layers here. Uh, the, her, her ability to wrestle with that, and then also wrestle with the sense of gratitude and acceptance of the life that she now has, that she's learning to, to live and find joy in this new normal. That right there, that to me is resilience. Mm.
1: I think that's a wonderful definition, and, I, but- I, and, and that the person is not, it doesn't mean that she has it all perfect, that's not what resilience is, but that she is able to grapple with them on a daily basis and have the support that she needs in order to thrive.
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: So if you had one tip to provide those people who are listening right now, what would you say you'd want them to come away with when it comes to how to talk to kids about death and dying, how to talk to kids about loss and grieving, what's one tip that you'd want them to come away with?
0: One tip? Robin, you've heard how chatty it is.
1: (laughs) And I really like that about you. But I'm gonna challenge you right now. Be resilient, give me one.
0: All right, I'm gonna go for it. I, I think it ties into not only the support but also this value system and this social construct I've been talking about. And I think the one critical thing we need to do across school systems, on on the field, uh, sports field, in our homes, um, in every other environment, we need to normalize. Mm. Normalize, normalize death and grief as part of the human condition. Because if we do that, we're gonna start making some of the serious cultural shifts in um, all of those environments, that we need to do in order to uh, live healthier lives and keep kids prepared um, for this natural part, this natural part of the human condition.
1: It's it's beautiful, and thank you for that. I know that people are going to want to get more information and and keep up with you. Give us the resource of the week where can people go to get more information about you or what you do or what would you want people to do after listening to this podcast that would help them the most?
0: Yeah, I I, I hope folks who are listening, if any of this spoke to you or you want to hear it from uh, different perspectives or different angles, uh, my three favorites start with um, the one I'm most biased with, but that's Good Grief here in New Jersey, good-grief.org. So on Good Grief, we have tons of uh, downloadable tips and resources everything from dealing with the holiday scripts for talking to kids about uh, death and grief uh, so I would highly encourage you to to go there mm. for and we also do education and resources in the community but all that's on that site uh, if if you're not in New Jersey and you're looking for support in your neck of the woods the National Alliance for Grieving Children is a wonderful resource and there you'll find Uh, a center locator, so you can find programs in your community, and that's childrengrieve.org. And then for those folks uh, who don't have uh, kids but are perhaps looking for support for themselves or want to join a community, I highly recommend Cheryl Sandberg's optionb.org. And there there are Facebook groups, and um, there's not only for Uh, you're supporting yourself with grief, but there's also groups on how to raise resilient children. Mm -hmm. So these are the three I would, I would recommend right now. And from there, you'll find many other resources.
1: And you have a book also that you've talked about, um, that where you talk about how to talk to kids about death and dying. And what's the title of the book again?
0: Yeah. What do we tell the children? Talking kids about death and dying.
1: Excellent. So that's something to absolutely look up, right? That would be really helpful as well.
0: Yeah, it's a a more exhaustive version of this conversation um, with a lot of examples and stories to help contextualize some of these key points.
1: Excellent. Well, I just want to thank you so much for talking to us about this challenging topic and a topic that applies to everyone. I feel like you've provided such important information, some great tips, some incredible scripting so that we feel more at ease about talking to kids about death and dying. And I I love what you've talked about in terms of grief and that it's not linear. This is something that everybody's experiencing in a different way, a different moment, a different day can mean a different feeling. So thank you for bringing that to our attention so that we understand it better.
0: Absolutely. And Dr. Silverman, thank you so much for having me. It's been a real joy.
1: Oh, it's such a pleasure. Well, friends, I've got my takeaways and I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. Let's go to Facebook.com slash Dr. Robin Silverman, or let's chat about it at DrRobinSilverman.com or Twitter.com slash Dr. Robin. And if you love this podcast like I did, would you kindly go up to iTunes and rate, review, and subscribe so that others will learn about Joe Primo's outstanding solutions and you them in their own homes and their own schools, I can't tell you how much it makes a difference. Please share it with those who are in need. That's all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts. Their show notes are up there as well. Please take a look. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days where you fall short... We all have those days. You've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I see you. I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you're ten times the parent you think you are. You really are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation.